0: I think it's easy to pick on Ohio State, it's easy to pick on USC, it's easy to pick on all these other places, but it's really more about the individual than it is whether or not school can rightfully prepare you to make that leap. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. Today is Wednesday, April 26th. We are just 24 hours away from one of my favorite days of the year, a lot of people have, especially college fans, there's some mixed reviews of the NFL. It's it's understandable. The NFL draft, specifically. People are really excited, but I think it's so awesome, man, having been in that position in the past. I was fortunate enough. I had to wait till day three, but I was fortunate enough to get drafted in the NFL, and it was a dream come true. It was a great moment for me, a great moment for my family, and something that I will always remember, and I'll tell my story here in just a little bit, but... To see these guys' dreams become reality is one of my favorite things. So we're going to take some time today to assess some of the top prospects in the NFL draft. We're going to go position by position. And we're going to address this low-hanging fruit argument that everybody seems to make every single year about fill-in-the-blank university and their inability to produce a quality quarterback. We're going to address that. Don't you worry about it. Let's not waste any time. Let's get down to it. Let's talk about it. I'm not a GM. I'm not a draft analyst. I purely watch and cover college football. Have I prognosticated about whether a guy will have success in the next level? Naturally, we're asked to do that as analysts at whatever network you work at. I'm seeing Joel Clatt project what a guy might do to the next level. I'm seeing several others that cover college football that are trying to assess whether or not a guy will translate as he makes that transition. So with the NFL draft coming up here in the next few days, we need to dial in to some of the favorite players that I covered the last couple of years and saw with my own two eyes, studied with my own two eyes, and being able to assess whether or not they can make this transition seamlessly. So we put together a laundry list of questions that are big picture college specific questions about the NFL draft. You want to indulge? Well, let's have some fun. Let's talk first about some of my favorite players at their respective positions coming out in this year's draft. I'm going to give you my favorite at each position. and I'm going to give you my second favorite of each position. Now, there are going to be people that disagree with these lists and your player that plays for your team might be excluded. It doesn't mean he can't play. It just means he didn't crack the top two of the guys I covered and the guys I saw with my own two eyes. So let's dive in. Quarterback, we'll start there. I think the best quarterback in college football the last couple years and the best quarterback that is transitioning to the NFL is Bryce Young. I understand the concerns about his size. I understand the concerns and question mark about his durability, but we just talked, gosh, what, for the last two years about how great Georgia was defensively. We've talked about how great they were throughout the entire 2021 season and how they had just held so many offenses in check until they played Bryce Young in the SEC Championship game. And that was the tape I needed to watch because that Georgia defense was littered across the board, both ones and twos with future NFL difference makers. And for the most part, NFL guys, that are now starting on Sundays in the league. So Bryce Young chopping them up in that game left no doubt for me about what he's capable of doing at the next level. He's very accurate. He has a great head on his shoulders, knows how to prepare, has a great understanding of pressure packages, understands where his weaknesses are in protection, and can, of course, drive the football into very tight spaces while creating with his own legs as well. He'd be number one. You're going to notice a trend here. Number two, I would have C.J. Stroud. Why? Look at the performance against Georgia in the semifinal game last year. I thought it was the best performance of C.J. Stroud's career. And that's saying a lot because C.J. Stroud has had so many great moments in a Buckeye uniform. But if you look at how he played against the Bulldogs, the pocket was seldom clean. They were bringing guys from all over the place and their offensive line up front had a difficult time throughout most of the game keeping that pocket's integrity intact. C.J. Stroud was able to consistently buy time, be able to kind of move and adjust and negotiate defenders while still keeping his eyes downfield and being accurate when delivering the football. That was the tape I needed to see. That was the tape that put him into the conversation alongside Bryce Young as the best prospect in the NFL draft. So number one, Bryce Young. Number two, C.J. Stroud. I know a lot of people are wondering about Levis, Levis, Richardson, Hooker, all those other guys. Those two guys are a cut above, to me, everyone else that would be considered in the first round of the NFL draft. Let's go to the running back position, a position that we'll talk a little more about here in just a minute because it has lost a little bit of steam as far as how important it is to draft a guy high in the NFL draft. Number one is B. John Robinson. This shouldn't require a whole lot of explanation. Just watch the guy. He's a three-down back where he can play on first, second, and third down. He can contribute in the passing game. I still think there's more development to be had there, by the way. I think he's just getting started as far as the type of receiver that he can be. He can run between the tackles. He can run on the perimeter. And he's going to finish runs and make guys miss in the open field. I love B. John Robinson. I would take him right now. Right now. If I were a running back need team in the top 15, 20 picks of the NFL draft. I think he's a can't-miss guy. It's one of the safest picks on the board. At number 2 it'd be Jameer Gibbs, a guy that I loved at Georgia Tech. Absolutely loved at Georgia Tech. So much electricity, reminds me so much of Alvin Kamara, how he can run and accelerate in such a quick and short area quickness laterally. And he's a great receiver out of the backfield. That's another thing that I really love about this running back class for the most part they're all really good running the ball naturally between the tackles outside they can all do all of that but most of the guys that are now coming out that are being considered as first round guys early second round guys they're all capable of contributing in the passing game as well now i have a guy that can be in the game on third down and if i'm going to spend draft equity on a running back i need to know that he can play on first down second down and on third down in obvious passing situations so jameer gibbs would be the second back off the board if I were in need of a running back. Let's move to wide receiver. A lot of people aren't as thrilled with this year's wide receiver class. And if you look at the top guys, top four, top five, top six guys, everyone kind of has a little different order. Some guys like Quentin Johnson at, at TCU because of his length. Some guys like Jackson Smith and Jigba because of the productivity he had two years ago. Some guys love some of the other guys that would be considered a little bit later on. But the two guys I love right now, Jordan Addison at USC, formerly of Pitt, Belindicoff winner, obviously, in 2021. Goes out to SC, and he is so smooth. He is so quick. He has such a great understanding of how to beat defenders over the top, but the body control that he displays on a regular basis, I think, is remarkable. He reminds me so much of Calvin Ridley, where everything he does just seems effortless. He can play inside, he can play outside, he can move him around, you can motion him, you can line him up in the backfield and create matchups for him. I think Jordan Addison is a piece that I would prioritize in the draft, even though most people like Jackson Smith and Jigba over him. I like Jordan Addison, number one, based on his productivity at the college level. Moving on to number two, a guy that this might surprise you, but I've been calling this guy's games for the last few years, Zay Flowers is for real. Go look at Boston College the last couple of years and tell me how many guys scared you on their offense. Go look at how many guys scared you to death. Now, they've had some good tight ends. They've had a couple of decent receivers. There was nobody on the field that was like Zay Flowers. And what I love most about Zay Flowers is all I got to do is get him the ball. I don't care if I throw it to him behind the line of scrimmage. He can make guys miss and he becomes a running back with the ball in his hands. Zay Flowers has tremendous explosiveness and has done a pretty good job of rounding out as a wide receiver. He reminds me of Jalen Waddle. Just get on the ball and see what he does with it. That's the type of player I think you're getting if he brings a Flowers to town. Also a pass catcher at tight end. This is a really deep tight end class. Really, really deep. You can go five or six deep and everyone might have a little bit different opinion about who does what well. But if I'm going to draft a tight end, I want a guy that can put his hand in the dirt and play at the end of the line of scrimmage. Not necessarily going to be a war daddy in the run game, but I want a guy that's going to at least give effort in that part of the field. And the guy that does that the best, not named Darnell Washington, is Michael Mayer. I think Michael Mayer is the most well-rounded tight end coming out of this year's draft. He's a willing and able uh, blocker at the point of attack. He's not going to be a guy that you're just going to line up and say, man, go mash that guy. We're going to run right behind you. He's not that guy. But he can give you enough at the end of the line of scrimmage to be able to create a true Y tight end. And we've already seen what he did the last couple of years in the passing game. I think he can stretch the field. A lot of people say, well, you know, I don't know about his super high end speed. I've seen him get behind defenders. And how often do I really need a tight end to stretch the field? Look, maybe I find one, but... I want a guy that understands space and understands how to create and use the defender's leverage against him. That's why Michael Mayer would be the first tight end off the board for me. At number two, it'd be Dalton Kincaid. Look at his productivity at Utah and look at what he meant to Cam rising over the course of the last couple of years. You want to talk about understanding space. You want to talk about understanding how to get open. You want to talk about being reliable. If the route says get to 12, he's getting to 12. He might even get you 12 and a half. He is so good, so good, and so reliable with his hands as well. Dalton Kincaid, to me, I think he's one of the more underrated players in this year's draft. Now, some people will look and say, well, you know, who does he compare to? I don't think he's Travis Kelsey. I'm not suggesting that's who he is. But if given the volume that he got in college, if he gets the volume like that in the NFL, I think he can be a remarkably productive player at the next level. And because of his savviness, he'll be able to create a lot of opportunity for his quarterback, especially if it's a young one. It'd be a great guy to bring in to your offense. When you look at the offensive line, I think it's a pretty weak interior offensive line class. I love John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota. Great center. I love Osiris Torrance from Florida, formerly of Louisiana. I think he's your best guard. And when you look at the tackles, It's hard not to take Peter Skaronsky. Now, his ceiling is probably a little bit limited, but his base and his floor is really, really high. He does not have the highest ceiling in the draft. He doesn't. That might go to you know the Georgia offensive tackle or or one of the Ohio State tackles. One of those guys. They might have a higher ceiling. Maybe Darnell Wright, if he can keep his head on straight, maybe he has one of the higher ceilings. All these things... Are factored in, and upside is significant. But man, if I'm a quarterback, I don't want a guy with a low floor. I want a guy with a high floor so that he can keep me healthy and upright as I try to deliver passes on Sunday. So Peter Skaronski out of Northwestern will be my top tackle off the board. So John Michael Schmitz at center, Osiris Torrance at guard, and Peter Skaronski there at tackle. Moving to the edge defensively, I think this is a really good edge class. Very very solid. Will Anderson would be my top guy off the board. Shouldn't come as much of a surprise. The guy's been a terror for the last few years in the SEC. I I don't need to go through the stats. I don't need to go through the hurries. I don't need to go through the way he's impacted games. I saw him single-handedly beat Mississippi State two years ago. Single-handedly. Had four sacks in the game and made the right tackles life a living hell throughout the course of that ballgame. So Will Anderson, if he comes off the board at three to Arizona, I think that'd be a great pick for the Arizona Cardinals. At number two, As far as the edge presence to me, a little different than what some people have. Other people are going different directions. Some people have taken Tyree Wilson to Texas Tech. I think he's really quick. I think he's got great athleticism. But the guy I love is Miles Murphy. Miles Murphy, of course, at Clemson, maybe not quite to the same level as some of the guys that have come before him off the edge. But if you watch him, man, he has great understanding of where he's at when he rushes the quarterback. I think he's pretty decent with his hands. And I think that there's a lot of room to continue to grow. Maybe not the highest ceiling amongst the guys that are being considered, but a guy that I think you can plug and play for eight to 10 years, and he's going to be a very solid contributor on the edge of your defense. Let's move to the interior, where I don't feel like the interior is quite as good. Jalen Carter is by far the best interior defender in this draft. It's not even close. It's not even close. But there are situations when you watch Jalen Carter he doesn't play all the time, meaning he's not giving it 110% effort. The motor on third down, when it's obvious passing situation, when he wants to go, he kills you. He reminds me a little bit of Chris Jones coming out of Mississippi State, had a little bit of that stop and start go a few years ago. And now he's developed into one of the best interior defensive linemen in the league. If he went all the time in college, the way he goes all the time in the NFL, he would have been a complete game wrecker. Nobody would have been able to stand a chance against him. But Jalen Carter... When he wanted to be, he was the best player on the field. Just didn't want to be all the time, but I expect that to change when he gets to the next level. Kalijah Cansey might be second, but I think he's a little undersized. It's going to concern me a little bit. People are comparing him to Aaron Donald. I, I'm not willing to go there. I like Brian Brzee. Now, Brian Brzee's got brute strength that is unteachable. Problem is his hands at this point aren't quite where they need to be. He needs to work on his craft. He needs to refine his craft. And if he can get more savvy with his hands, he's got a chance, I think, to be a really good interior player, especially run stopper in the NFL. Let's go to linebacker. I think it's a very weak inside linebacker class. The top two for me are Jack Campbell from Iowa. Insanely productive. Does a great job getting sideline to sideline. And number two, Trenton Simpson, man. I love Trenton Simpson. I think he at Clemson in the front seven. I like three guys, as you can see, in front seven defensively for Clemson. Trenton Simpson the last couple years, he's been the most explosive player on that Clemson defense. Has great athleticism, great range. Can play to the field. Great blitzer he would be a guy I would take early if I was in need of a linebacker. Moving to the final part, the defensive backs, I don't love this safety class. A lot of question marks at safety. The one I do love is Brian Branch. I think he's versatile, and I think he can give you an awful lot, especially when it comes to covering big body receivers or tight ends. I think he's played corner before, and he can be a guy that can play man-to-man if you want him to play man-to-man. And then on the outside at corner, Joey Porter Jr. and Christian Gonzalez at Penn State, and Oregon, respectively, would be the top two guys for me when I have to lock down an opposing wide receiver. I think those two guys have done it. I've seen them do it. I think Gonzalez has tremendous athleticism. I think Porter's got great length. Those would be the two guys I would go after at corner if I needed a if I had a void at that position.
1: All right, McRoy, I'm a fan. Right? I just got a question here. Should I buy into the history of a school's draft picks? You know, for example, like Ohio State has never really had this great NFL quarterback. Should I buy into that? Should I worry about that? Or is that just fans and fanatics just being over the top? I think it's low hanging fruit. And I'll explain part of the reason why I feel that way because
0: I think success in the NFL is far more about the situation that you step into and the individual player itself. For instance, everyone wants to talk about you know, well, you know, Ohio State, look at their guys. And here are all the guys that have been drafted in the last 40 years. Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins, Cardale Jones, Terrell Pryor, Troy Smith, Craig Krenzel, Joe Germain, Kent Graham, uh, Jim Carsatos, and Art Schleister. Those are the guys that have been drafted for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And every single one of them up to this point either were a bust or, or are legitimate question marks. And people say, well, look at, look at what Justin Fields did last year. He led the NFL in rushing at a quarterback spot. Great. I've still, the jury's out on Justin Fields with me as of right now. Can he process quicker? Can he actually win from the pocket? Those are actual question marks for me because he does not anticipate throws. He likes to see guys open, but he's a freak when he get the ball in his hands. I don't think that has anything to do with Ohio State. It's not about Ohio State being unable to prepare you to take the next step. It's about the individual player. Because if we're gonna look at this, everyone's gonna say, well, look at look at Purdue. I mean, they've had great quarterbacks, you know, Greasy and Drew Brees. Well, do you realize that Drew Brees, early in his career in San Diego, was on the way out? I mean, obviously hurt his shoulder, but didn't have a great start to his career. They were getting ready to draft Phillip Rivers. Drew Brees gets hurt. Drew Brees ultimately ends up in New Orleans, and then he goes on to have a Hall of Fame career. Why was that? Was it about you know, oh, well, Purdue didn't prepare him. No, it didn't have anything to do with that. It had to do with the situation he stepped into. There have been a million guys that have stepped into horrible situations that could play at a really high level that ultimately did not play very well because they were in a trash situation. So I don't think it's fair to judge a team by their bust because everyone will look at Notre Dame. Look at all the great quarterbacks Notre Dame's had. They've had Joe Montana and look at the other guys that have gone on to have success and and Joe Theismann and and fine. They also had Brady Quinn, Jimmy Clausen, Deshaun Kaiser. I mean, do you really look at SC. SC? Look at all the guys that have busted out of SC. Sam Darnold, uh, Mark Sanchez, um, I mean, a handful of others. Well, the, Carson Palmer was pretty good. I do think there is something to it. I do think there's something to it where if you are surrounded with an elite supporting cast, the transition is a little bit more difficult. Why? Because when you look at the separation that Matt Leinart got to throw to when playing at SC, playing around all those great players, the separation with the receivers against the opposing defenders, the holes in the windows were bigger. That's simple as that. The holes in the windows were bigger than the holes that Kyle Orton had to throw into or the holes that Drew Brees had to throw into at Purdue. So I do think there is something to that just a little bit, but for someone to draw a sweeping conclusion about one specific school being unable to produce NFL talent is low-hanging fruit. It's about the player, the individual player himself and conversely the situation they step into some guys go into great situations go on to have remarkable careers joe burrow by the way i don't think anyone's necessarily saying that he's an ohio state quarterback of course he cut his teeth at lsu but he did you know in a roundabout way start his career at ohio state goes to lsu has an average junior year an amazing senior year and the rest is history goes to a good situation cincinnati with a terrific supporting cast a great young offensive-minded head coach in Zach Taylor that calls the plays, and he has performed beautifully. After his rookie year when he got hurt, the last couple years he's had tremendous success as he's gone about his business. Jalen Hurts also stepped into a terrific situation. Dak Prescott, back in the day, stepped into a remarkably good situation. Russell Wilson stepped into a remarkable situation remarkably good situation in Seattle with a great defense and a great run game to support him. It's really more about the situation you step into than it is just about anything else. Of course, you have to be able to throw. You have to be accurate. You have to have a big arm. Those are non-starters. If you don't have that, you have no chance. But if you don't have that, you're not getting drafted in the first round anyways. So I think it's easy to pick on Ohio State. It's easy to pick on USC. It's easy to pick on all these other places. But it's really more about the individual than it is whether or not school can rightfully prepare you to make that leap.
1: This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why?
0: It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style
1: pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E.
0: Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
1: Love being able to
0: dive into our mailbag on such a regular basis. Please continue to send your questions. Always football at gmail.com. And you can send them to our social media page. Also, follow us. Let us know so we can interact on social media. That'd be great as well. That's at AlwaysCFB on both Instagram and on Twitter. Coops, where are we going today?
1: All right, first one comes uh, from Jake in Huntsville. Sounds like he's an angry Alabama fan. Hear me out here. There's a national narrative that Georgia football is now on a different level than Alabama football, and the impression given by many outlets is that Bama isn't even in the same class as Georgia. However, over the last 14 years, Georgia's one won in seven versus Bama with their sole victory coming in the 2022 National Championship, a game in which they trailed in the fourth quarter. Should we pump the brakes on this narrative? How far do you really think the gap is between the two at this moment? Well,
0: I mean, let's start with the fact that Georgia right now is the standard in college football. That is not some secret. That is not some hypothesis. This is fact. They've won consecutive national championships. They are right now, based on preseason prognostications favored by many, Two win, three in a row. Now, will they? Uh, we'll find out. I mean, we haven't seen the 3 p obviously, in quite some time. But when you look at Georgia and what they've done the last couple of years, they've done a remarkable job of being able to replenish talent. We talked last year going into the season. Can they replace 15 players that were drafted in the 2023 NFL draft? 2022 NFL draft, excuse me. Can they replace nine players on defense? Can they replace that many first-rounders? And many people... Self-Included had question marks going into last year. Would they be able to replicate the success of the year before? And not only did they do that, I think in many ways, last year's team was even, maybe even a little bit better across the board at times than they were in 2021 when they won the first championship under Kirby Smart. They're the standard. They're number one right now. There's no denying that. Now, Alabama, for a very long time, the better part of a decade, maybe even longer than that, was the standard in college football. They were number one. They had the best players. Regardless of who departed the program, it didn't matter. The expectations remained the same. That has not quite been the case the last couple of years. Doesn't mean that they can't get back there. It doesn't mean things won't be different when we have this conversation a year from now. But ultimately, Georgia is the top dog. No pun intended. So yes, one in seven, but you're citing back into a time in which Mark Rick was the head coach at Georgia. You're citing back into a time in which Nick Saban was going head-to-head against Kirby Smart in 2017. Kirby Smart was in year two. Nick Saban was in year 10 or 11. So it's a little bit different to compare those teams. It was early in Smart's tenure. He's done a remarkable job of creating Georgia from the same vein that Alabama was created with back in the early part of the Saban tenure. 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. Looks a lot similar when... They won three championships in a five-year period and was at number one in all five years. Looks very similar to what Georgia is creating right now. So it's no reason to try to pretend like the gap doesn't exist. There is a little bit of a gap right now, but all that can change this upcoming year because you're only as good as your most recent game. Alabama looked great in theirs. Georgia looked phenomenal in theirs. They're number one. They're the top dog. But if you get behind Georgia... Alabama is certainly in the mix for the number two spot at the very worst. Obviously, Ohio State's in that conversation, among several others. So don't panic. (laughs) But right now, yes, it'd be impossible to ignore the fact that the Dogs are the program to beat right now in college football.
1: All right. I really like this next question. Came from Allen in New York. Said, I saw that Kyler Murray got a statue at Oklahoma. Can you give me your top five players that deserve statues at their colleges? So here's where I stand on this.
0: I appreciate the question very much. I, for one, don't really believe in individual statues. It's just, it's contrary to my thought process because when I think of an individual player being bronzed and put on a campus, and by the way, Oklahoma does it for all of their Heisman Trophy winners, all seven guys have statues outside of that beautiful stadium there in Norman, Oklahoma. It's what they do. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that by any stretch of the imagination. But I think it's impossible to win the Heisman by yourself. So if you are going to immortalize a specific individual, I think it must come with recognition that, hey man, there were 120 so odd teammates that helped get him to that position. So I'm not one for Heisman Trophy statues. It's, It's not my thing. Never has been, never will be. I for one am more in line with a statue of a coach. Head coach, for instance, if you win a national championship, you get a statue. That's the way it was done in Tuscaloosa. So it's natural that that's the way I would probably lean. But the day to day operation of running a program to me is what needs to be recognized. And every single player that was ever a part of a national championship team needs to be recognized as well. From player one to player 125, every single person had a role and a job to do in an effort to create that championship run. So every single one of those guys needs to be recognized. So I don't like propping up individuals. It's not my thing. You've heard me talk on this platform before about how I feel about the Heisman Trophy and how I don't like, really, I don't love individual awards. I think it's a team game. And I think any focus on the individual takes away from what the team could accomplish. But because you asked the question, I will ultimately answer the question. Tennessee should have a statue of Peyton Manning, I think he's the greatest player in the history of Tennessee football. Others might feel differently. Others might put someone else in that conversation, but to me, he's the greatest. Cam Newton, I think, should be recognized as one of, if not the best player in Auburn history. I know Bo Jackson would like a word, understandably so, but Cam Newton, with what he was able to do at Auburn in that 2010 season, was nothing short of remarkable as someone that was on the losing side uh, to Cam Newton. I fully respect and acknowledge that Cam Newton single-handedly carried that team to a national championship. There was not a single other player on that roster that recorded a reception and or a rushing attempt in the NFL. That's how important Cam Newton was to that Heisman Trophy run and ultimately that national championship run. Other guys that I would try to, because it's hard when you go to a place like Notre Dame, how do you choose this one? It's hard when you go... To, you know, uh, Michigan, how do you choose just one? Ohio State, how do you choose just one? It'd be very difficult when looking at some of those other programs and identifying, hey, that was the one guy that got us over the top because there are so many great players to recognize over the course of a period of time. I think Stetson Bennett could be in line at Georgia. People are going to say, how could you possibly make that justification? Well, he won consecutive national championships, first player at Georgia, even though not the most talented player at Georgia in the last 40, 45 years, but the first player to win back to back trophies for the Georgia Bulldogs. And there was a noticeable changing of the guard when he became the starting quarterback. So I think he would have a legitimate argument to be made there. Vince Young at Texas would be another guy that I would idolize. You're probably acknowledging something here, right? Like everyone I'm mentioning here, everyone I'm mentioning, not only won, you know, either a, a Heisman or when they're running for a Heisman or were a finalist for the Heisman, but they also led their team to national championships or got within reach of a national championship. So I think Vince Young would also be. In the mix at Texas. And then finally, I'd put Michael Vick at Virginia Tech, who to me, still to this day, arguably the most electric player I've ever seen with my own two eyes. Granted, you're probably saying, Greg, that's not really a big window, as you've heard me talk about in the past. (laughs) As you heard me talk about in the past, my best understanding of football is from 1998 and beyond. Peyton Manning was a 97, so he missed the window by just a little bit, but finished second in the Heisman Trophy. Thought he should have won it to begin with. And then the other guys were immortalized, either with national championship game appearances or a national championship in and of itself. So those would be the five guys that would be at the top of my list when it comes to evaluating whether or not they should have an individual trophy on campus.
1: I'm going to sidebar you on this one because I think one person that deserves a, a statue, not for his accomplishments in college, but for what he did in the NFL, Tom Brady at Michigan, just so you can go through and say, Hey, the greatest quarterback in the NFL history played here. You know, I think that would be something like, I I don't know. I'm not even like this huge Michigan or Tom Brady fan, but I think he deserves a statue. Do you agree? Well,
0: I mean, sure. Just to show,
1: just to show it there.
0: But if, but if you are using it as a recruiting prop, then why'd you bench Tom Brady at one point in his career? Erroneous.
1: Don't need to bring that up. i just, just suggesting,
0: like maybe you should put a statue up in Lubbock of Patrick Mahomes, even though he went six and sixes last year, or seven and six, or whatever the heck you he went. And Patrick Mahomes goes on to beat Tom Brady's Super Bowl record. I think you should. That's fine. If you if you feel like you want to take advantage of what someone did after the fact, I for one like to focus on what you did on campus. To me, that's what is deserving of a trophy is your performance on campus more so than your performance after the fact. So that's fine if you believe and you want to take advantage of what Tom Brady did in the NFL and use it to your advantage, by all means. It's your decision to be able to do that. But I want to highlight the guys that did it while wearing the uniform that they're going to be etched in bronze with. So that's my thought. That's my assumption. And that's the way I would go about it when selecting whether or not a guy got immortalized.
1: All right, fair enough. Moving on from Kyle in New Jersey. We're in year four of Greg Schiano's return, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the ceiling for the program. Certainly being in one of the two toughest divisions in college football doesn't help, but Schiano rebuilt the team once before. He went to the NFL, and now is back with more resources and a better conference. Can Rutgers be a consistent bowl team? I think that
0: the move, and we've talked about this as it relates to Wisconsin, we've talked about this as it relates to Minnesota, we've talked about this as it relates to Penn State, Maryland, and others. The move away from divisions in college football is going to benefit Rutgers greatly. Now, can they consistently get to a bowl game? That to me is asking an awful lot given the history of the program. But if there's one guy that knows how to do it, it's Greg Shiano. Let's look at this year's team specifically. It feels like they're moving in the right direction with what they want to be offensively. Kirk Soraka is in as the new offensive coordinator. Listen to some of the players' interviews. You listen to how they speak about Kirk Soraka. It seems like things are trending in the right direction with what they're going to be offensively. Can he get the most out of Gavin Wimsett who is looking like a guy that actually resembles that of a Big Ten starting quarterback right now. He's grown. He appears to be more confident. There seems to be some momentum that's been created for Gavin Wimsatt. Does he have the supporting cast at wide receiver? That remains a huge question mark. I really like Rashad Rochelle. I think he's got a lot of potential. Of course, he's kind of been used and is a versatile weapon, been used at running back, been used at wide receiver. There's things to like about that. But the other wide receivers at this point, are a bit of a concern. I mean, you lose your top three guys from last year with Sean Ryan, Crickshank, and Shameen Jones. So those guys being gone now, there's a lot of catches that are departing the program that now need to be replenished. So there's a lot to acknowledge there. I like the development of the offensive line. So I'm looking at Rutgers this year as being a team that is still a spoiler, but getting to a bowl game would be a really nice achievement for Greg Schiano. Here, as kind of a breakthrough type of season, to show that there is progress being made there in Piscataway. All right, final thought here. Quick story about my NFL draft process. I, I was a seventh round pick, pick 208 of the New York Jets. It was a long time ago and it was a long time to wait, but I can never forget the moment that I got that call. We'll start with round one. That was obviously on Thursday. I knew there was no chance in hell. I was getting a call on Thursday or Friday. So I spent both days playing golf. Why wouldn't I? Terrible golfer, at least at that point. Pretty good now. But I was terrible at that point and just picked it up, but it took four hours and it was four hours. I didn't have to contemplate where the heck I was going to end up. Fast forward to day three, walk upstairs for my draft party. All my friends from high school, a couple friends from college, all my family friends that had been with me, we probably had 30, maybe 40 people at my house and the air conditioner decides to break. Now I'm from Dallas, Texas. It was a billion degrees there in early May of 2011. In our house, it was 86 degrees, 86 degrees upstairs. And my parents, because we had an ESPN camera there, felt like it was necessary for me to wear a suit. Uh, Understandably so. I now work at ESPN. So I appreciate the advice that they gave me at that time. But I wanted to absolutely lose it as I stood by the phone for the better part of three hours waiting for my number to call. You get calls from Seattle. Hey, man, we're going to take you with our next pick. That pick comes... They don't take you. That was in the fifth round. You get a call from Houston. Hey man, we're we're gonna take you if you're available here at our next pick. That's in the fifth round. They don't take me. They ended up taking T.J. Yates from North Carolina. You get a you get a look get calls from from Baltimore. All these other all these other places were like, hey man, they, they might be in the market for a quarterback. I thought the New York Giants were gonna draft me. That's where I thought I was going. It was going to be either New York Giants or the Philadelphia Eagles. I thought for sure that was going to be where I was. Doug Peterson, and I had a great relationship. He was the quarterback coach at that time. He had worked me out. Thought that that was a possibility for us. Seattle was in attendance at uh, my pro day. Thought maybe it might be them that would ultimately make the call. And then I get a call from a New York area code thinking it's going to be the Giants. Oh, man, let's go. Sure enough, it's Mike Tannenbaum, Rex Ryan, Woody Johnson, and the New York Jets. I had not had one conversation with the New York Jets prior to that moment. Dating back to the Combine, the only time I interacted with the Jets was when I had actually said hello to my buddy who was the running backs coach at the time, Lance Taylor, who is now the head coach of Western Michigan. He was my buddy. So I talked to him at the Combine. Hey, buddy, what's up, man? How's everything going? Let's let's stay in touch. Hope you're well. That was my only interaction with the Jets. So I had no idea I was going to be a New York Jet until I got that phone call, but it was the greatest moment ever. My dad was in tears. My whole family was in tears. It was a dream come true. It was a lifelong goal that I was finally able to achieve. So I'll never forget it. Thanks to Woody Johnson. Thanks to Mike Tannenbaum. Thanks to Rex Ryan. Thanks to the entire Jets organization. I'm still a Jets fan. As a result of that phone call so i really really appreciate you and to all the guys that'll hear their name called in the next couple of days congratulations in advance it's a special moment enjoy it with your family you earned it soak up every second of it that'll do it for us here at always college football please like rate and subscribe it helps us out and it helps the show out please hit us up continue to send in your mailbag questions always college football at gmail.com or you can go online at always cfb on both instagram and on Twitter, look forward to interacting with you there on social media as well. For Jack Foster, Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day, and remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcast.